Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, two weeks, two great guests. Hopefully the result for the Bears is a little better this time, but uh, we're going to get into it here. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm looking forward to it. The Bears uh, didn't buoy my spirits while I was in Las Vegas, but uh, they got another shot this week, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, we'll save your Vegas stories for after the guest because we, we got to get into it with the Bengals, who are suddenly interesting. And we've got Jay Morrison of The Athletic here to talk about the Bengals. He's the Bengals beat writer for The Athletic. Does a really good job over there. Make sure you're checking out his stuff if you're able to get on The Athletic Show. But, Jay, thank you for coming on to Bears Over Beers. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to the conversation and also looking forward to the beer, I hope. Uh, you did show us before the show that you held up your beer. So what did you bring on today? Uh, so I brought a uh, Cincinnati IPA. It's uh, it's called Truth. Um, it's a, by a brewery called Rheingeist. The, the Cincinnati is a really rich brewing tradition. The over the Rhine part of town is where a lot of that was. So they, when the craft beer craze came back a decade or so again, uh, this this brewery opened up. Rheingeist. The Rhine makes sense because it's over the Rhine. Geist is the German word for ghost. That's why it's got the little ghost oh. label on there. And uh, just a huge IPA fan, and this is probably my favorite of all IPAs. Okay, well, I am the opposite. I do not like IPAs. Uh, I bring on uh, a lot of beers that you could uh, eat with a spoon, and today is no exception. I'm going with something called Death by Flapjacks. That sounds good. Uh, from Oscar <laughs> Blues. It uh, says it's ale made with maple syrup, vanilla, lemon peel, nutmeg, lactose, and other natural flavors, so who knows what I'm going to get into this. But I was thinking Joe Burrow might kill us with uh, Death by a Thousand Cuts, so Death by Flapjack seemed appropriate. EJ, what about you? Well, I love the local flavor that Jay brings on. Uh, it's great when folks bring local beers, that, especially ones that we haven't seen. Um, I'm going to bring on an, an oldie but a goodie uh, because we are talking quarterback today. And I've got Johnny Utah Pale Ale from Georgetown Brewing right up in Seattle, just south of the stadium. And uh, it's pretty pretty good pale ale got a little bit of citrus flavor to it but uh they also have a uh bodhisattva so they have both johnny utah and bodhi for those of you point break fans hanging out at home um but that's it we've got three good beers and we got plenty to talk about because as jb said um bengals bengals showed a little bit of pop in week one so let's, let's get, get into the beers yeah and let's get into the conversation because I watched the the Bengals Vikings game and I can't say that I have been that excited to watch Bengals games in a number of years even when they were good they seemed how do I put this nicely boring and and so now they're just really exciting and and I think that that really starts with the new quarterback Joe Burrow obviously coming off that ACL injury that was probably really tough for Bengals fans to see but before he went down with that ACL injury he looked like the real deal uh, he came out I thought he looked really good against the Vikings despite really struggling in the preseason sort of openly and in public with coming back from that injury so what was that injury like for Burrow and I, I guess I, I'm curious in terms of like his leadership in the building and what the expectations are for him in year two yeah I mean it was devastating for him obviously uh, he was that, that offense was really starting to click it, it, no off, no real offseason last year. It was it was all vir virtual, no preseason games. So he's thrown in as a rookie starter in week one and um, really kind of led him on a game-winning drive against the Chargers. They had a touchdown pass to A.J. Green overturned by a questionable offensive 
pass interference call. Then the kicker misses a gimme, says his both of his calves seized up. Um, so they lo- they lose that game sixteen to thirteen. The next week they go out. It's thirty five thirty one against Cleveland. He looks great. Um, and he really after that there was a couple more struggles. And then right around week five, week six, just took off. And we we saw this team. Uh, they they lit up the Browns for a second time. They beat the Titans. It was Zach Taylor's first time beating a a team with the winning record. Those were both playoff teams. It, it really looked like things were coming together. And then the injury hits. Um, you're right. He was very very candid about the the emo- the the mental block and the confidence in the knee, kind of slowing him in training camp. But he he came up with an idea that in seven on seven they would just have coaches running in front of him, running at the side. They're throwing those uh, big stabilizing balls that you see people use in the in the gym. They're doing everything they can to put traffic around his knees just to kind of get that in his head that he's going to have to deal with that. And he really turned a corner after that, and he, he looked great. Um, he only played three snaps in the preseason, and that was more just kind of a chance to let him dress, get in the huddle. They only had the one home preseason game, so he runs out, gets the ovation from the crowd, three quick snaps, get him out. Um, so the, the big question was, is week one this year going to look like week one last year? Is it going to take a while to get ramped up to speed? And uh it did not. He looked terrific. A career high in passer rating, career high in completion percentage, career high in yards per attempt. And obviously, he's only played 11 games, but still the best numbers he's ever had. And a career low in passing attempts. Um, they they really ran the ball well with Joe Mixon, kind of used that balance. And he did. He looked terrific. And you, you still, even though he came out of the gate hotter, you still kind of expect to see that ascension as the season goes on, as he gets more into a rhythm and gets things going. And uh, I, I think Bengals fans and, like you guys said, it's people outside of the Cincinnati. It's going to be an exciting offense to watch. Whether they win or not, we'll see. But it's it, they've got a heck of a lot of weapons. There's just some sort of magnetism about Joe Burrow that draws people to him and want to watch him. And uh, it, it's going to be a fun year. Whether it's a successful year, we got to wait and see. Yeah, I love Burrow. I loved him coming out. Uh, I was devastated when he got injured just as an NFL fan because you want to see the best players play at the highest level. I watched that game Sunday in a sports book, and there were a couple things that impressed me about the Bengals. One was they won that game. It wasn't handed to them. It wasn't that their opponent yeah, lost. Kinda. Right, but in the <laughs> end – they came up with the win. Right. And the other thing that you alluded to was the balance. This is the first time as sort of Mike Brown as the architect, if you want to call it that, got to see all the pieces on the field. Burrow was the big one. They already had Mixon. T. Higgins was a nice surprise throughout last season. And now they add Chase. And here it all is for the first time on the field. You've got your your towers outside. You've got Mixon running very well. And Burrow was just efficient. Like you said, he's only 20 to 27, but made the difference. And I think that's exciting for Bengals fans to be able to see all the pieces working together as envisioned for the first time. And as JB alluded to at the top, they're an exciting team because of that. They don't have to count on one guy, any one of those guys to win any one or two of them can have a good week and propel the Bengals to a pretty good result. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's interesting what you say with having all the pieces together because it goes it goes beyond those guys. Their center Trey Hopkins tore his ACL in the season finale last year. He was back. He started that game. Their tight end CJ Uzama blew out his Achilles in week 2. He was back for that game. They, DJ Reader, their prize piece in 
free agency last year, the defensive tackle season ending injury in week five, Joe Mixon, the season ending injury in week six. I mean, all these guys went out last year and now all of a sudden they come back and then you add the pieces like Jamar Chase. And it's just, it, it, it who knows how long it'll last because injuries do happen in the league, sure. but it, 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 it did really kind of look like what they expected it looked like. And, and what Zach envisioned when, when he took over in 2019, he had a lot of older Marvin Lewis veterans that maybe weren't, 100% bought in on the new regime, um, maybe weren't happy with Marvin being let go. And there was there was some infighting uh, going on in, in that locker room. And and they finally purged what they saw as, as the trouble. And this is the first time it just really feels like Zach's team, a lot of young, confident, brash guys. And it just – I know people – the Vegas line, six and a half, people aren't expecting a lot of things from this team. But it, it, they've got a schedule that sets up with some easier games early. I'm not saying the bears are easy, but you know, it's, it's not a, the juggernaut that December <laughs> looks like, and yeah. they, they, they've still got Detroit. They've got Jacksonville. I mean, they've got a chance to get off to a good start and you could really kind of see that, that young brash kind of cocky attitude that, that Joe Burrow and, and Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase, all these guys exude that. And you can really kind of see this thing maybe snowballing and, and becoming something special if they can stack some wins early in the season. I want to follow up with something you said. You, you mentioned the head coach, Zach Taylor. It's not a guy that we know much about. And you had a really interesting article where you talked about all of the decisions that he made that were really pushing chips into the middle of the table, sort of uh, riverboat Zach, I think maybe we can talk about, because he he made a lot of aggressive decisions. And you, you broke down the win percentage if you go for it or if you punt or go for it or kick the field goal and you know and then the results and sort of showed the expectation the win expectation how that changed i was watching that game and i'm like what are you doing fourth and one from your own 30 and you're playing Kirk cousins just kick the ball man like you're fine and and so i i'm curious like I like aggressive football, but was that just a little bit too much for for Bengals fans? And and what was he thinking in that in that moment? Well, I mean, he said he was thinking let's let's go make it twenty eight to seven. They were up twenty one to seven. He's like, like let's go make this twenty eight to seven and win this game forty two to seven. You know, I I don't I wouldn't have done it if I was the coach. I think a lot of people really rightfully so we're questioning the move it's it's almost kind of a panic move if you're losing early in a third in the third quarter and you're trying to make something happen it, it even if you get that it's still first and 10 at your own 31 there's no guarantee that you're going to convert it into points yeah maybe you keep the ball out of minnesota's hands for another couple minutes but that's that's who he's been since he's got here he, he's he's really it's it's a complete opposite marvin was an old school guy didn't give a crap about analytics um, he Zach has really embraced that, and he has a guy in the in the booth on the headset talking to him. And he's like, "Hey, if we get to the forty yard line here, we should go for it." These aren't spur of the moment decisions. They kind of talk him through as the game's going on, and they talk him through. They do a role playing thing on Saturday where they'll take a a game book from a, some other game that they think their game is going to kind of play out that way, and they'll they go through the game book and look at it and be like, okay, now it was third and two at the at their own 40. What would we call here? And it's kind of like fantasy football for coaches where what would we call here? Would we go for it on fourth down here? So he's it, – it, it's not just going with your gut. There, there's a lot that goes into this, and he they've gone for it on fourth down 
53 times since he took over. That's the second most uh -huh. in the league in that time. And they've converted 60.4% of the time when they do go for it on fourth down. That's right at the top of the league. So it, it wasn't totally out of character. But, yes, there was a lot of head scratching on that specific one, the fourth and one at their own 30. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. I want to talk about a little bit about the wide receivers because I'm really impressed with T. Higgins. I think that he looks like like a real uh, like a real wide receiver one potentially. Like this guy's really kind of developed into something that looks like he can be special, particularly with Burrow as he develops. And then you add a guy like Jamar Chase, who was obviously Joe Burrow's teammate in college and an incredible physical specimen in his own right. And so obviously he struggled a little bit with drops in the preseason, but so did Higgins at the start of his career. I don't think that's an issue now. So what what was the vision there in terms of, of adding another wide receiver to this room? And you've got Tyler Boyd, who's who's no slouch either, right? So so you've got three really good wide receivers. What was the vision on the team building from that perspective? Yeah, to, to make plays down the field. As great as Joe looked last year, that was the one hole in his game. They, he, they just barely, barely connected on any deep balls at all. And part of that was T being a, a rookie and, um, you know, not still kind of learning how to fight for balls, still kind of learning how to wait and don't show your hands until the ball's right on top of you. Just things that young receivers have to learn. Part of it was not having that that full preseason to get those kind of kinks out and, and try those long passes. Part of it was A.J. Green just looking like old and slow and um, he was their main deep threat until they figured out well that's never going to happen and they started throwing at the team more often but that's what the thought was with bringing Jamar Chase in is you got you can have two number ones you can have Jamar Chase and T Higgins and you can really stretch a defense and then you, you get Joe Mixon going where you can set up with the play action and and maybe you're not throwing those deep balls with tight coverage and just hoping your guy's going to make a 50-50 catch. Maybe it's going to be what we saw Sunday where Jamar Chase just runs right by Brashad Breland and it's just it looked like the national championship game where or that that 19 that 2019 season where Jamar Chase is just running through secondaries wide open and Joe's just hitting him in stride. So a lot of debate about taking the offensive tackle Panay Sewell or going Jamar Chase. Um, they wanted to to be explosive, and and they thought Jamar Chase was the guy to do that for them, and it it certainly paid off in week one. Yeah, it gives them that balance. You talked about T. Higgins, and I'm really glad you brought up Green because Green looked cooked last year. He looks a little bit better on a different team at the start of this year, but last year for the Bengals, it, it really was everybody saying, "Well, nope, that well's dry. We're going the other way." And when they did, T. Higgins was doing. T. Higgins things, winning jump balls down the sideline, same thing he did in college. Uh, but he was it. And once once teams figured that out, defensive coordinators really good at adapting went, hey, the only guy they're going to get it to down the field is probably T. Higgins. Again, you know, they've got a really good third wide receiver and he can play underneath. He can go deep down the slot, but they really had one and a half things to defend. And I yeah. can see the Bengals saying, nope, we want two on every play. We want you to pick one. And Joe is tremendous at finding the one left open. He did it in college time after time. I called him a serial killer because he will gash you for whatever you leave open. He's excellent at that. And they just wanted to open it up. And like you said, in week one, sure looked like that was a good choice. Uh, yeah, I mean, the other the other issue last year was this offensive line was so bad that you don't have time to throw it deep. Um, so, I mean, that's still kind of in play. They go out and they sign Riley Reef, a right tackle, uh, who played a lot of years at Minnesota that I'm sure Bear, Bears fans are familiar with. They still have issues up the middle. Joe Burrow still – he took five sacks and seven hits against the Vikings. But 
just having those two guys, and you mentioned it, Tyler Boyd is he is terrific. He he he's led the league in third down catches in in catches for first downs. He's just he is money on third down, and he he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, and he was kind of okay with playing in AJ Green's shadow. He he could have gone elsewhere and tested the market. And he's like, no, I like it here. I don't need to be paid like a number one. I'm happy with my slot role. I I, I believe in what we've got going here, and you know I. Right now, it might be hyperbole, but as we get to midseason, I, I don't know if you'll find another group of wide receivers that, that is going to be as impressive as this trio. They're definitely up there. I mean, Dallas has three good ones, um, but when you start being able to have those conversations where it's like, we might have the best wide receiver trio. I mean, that's pretty impressive that they've been able to put that together. But you talk about the offensive line, which is something that I'm always interested in and always concerned with, because that debate, going into that draft i was like of course they're going to take penny school like you got to protect joe burrow like you'll you, there's talent and wide receiver later on and so you know you mentioned a little bit about what's what's going on with the struggles in the offensive line and, and some of the holes and riley reef at one position but it's going to be very interesting this weekend because the bears have a good front seven and they're struggling in the back end and so you know is joe burrow going to be able to have success with uh, an offensive line that may not be able to protect him very well, but you know he's such a quick processor and can get the ball out. So I guess um, you know the question is, how many words did you write about Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase? Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about it. We went over it on our podcast all the time. I mean, it was it, was, and I went back and forth. I kept waffling where, yeah, they should take Sewell. No, they should take Chase. I just think it ultimately came down to they, they weren't convinced. They thought that Jamar Chase was the the more lock of a prospect. They okay. had questions about Panay Sewell, how he would translate to the NFL, and it's not like the Pac-10 is loaded with elite pass rushers. And yes, he looked good in college. He looked good on tape, but you know you're not you're not facing the best of the best. And there's question about whether he would be best suited at guard. They if if they would have drafted him, he would have played guard. That was going to be mm. their plan was to play guard this year at least. Um, and then see what happens after, with Riley Reef and if they re-sign him and stuff. But they, they had already signed Riley Reef and they had Jonah Williams, their first round pick in two, 2019. Um, those they were committed to those guys as their tackles. And if so, if they had had drafted Panesu, he'd been playing guard. And I just I just felt that they they wanted the more sure thing, and they saw that being Jamar Chase. Yeah, I it wasn't even so much about Sewell for the for the reason. I mean, Sewell was the headliner. And certainly you you put some ink to it for sure and some podcast time a lot of people did but people were i i don't want to say forgetting but overlooking jonah williams right and that was yeah. their commitment he was not some fifth rounder that panned out he was a guy that they picked decided was going to be their left tackle he'd had some injury issues but if they were getting him back healthy he was their lt and then you end up moving sewell and there's all the debates about offensive line and moving him jb and i talk about that all the time with him as a former offensive lineman and when moving is a good idea and when it's not and the idea of taking a guy that high and playing him out of position at guard he would have been a fine guard i think is you get down to that balance that you talked about is mm -hmm. jamar chase as a number one alpha wide receiver better than penny school is as a guard because in our current situation that's where he's going to land what got me about the Bengals' approach wasn't that they didn't go Sewell in the first. I, I was fine with Chase for all the reasons you went back and forth. It was, 
okay, now you need to start stacking chips on the offensive line because last year that was your undoing and your franchise savior hopefully got smashed because of it. You can't let that happen. And and you saw what the Chiefs did in the in the offseason, yeah. gone to the Super Bowl with a depleted offensive line in front of their franchise saver, and they said never again. They loaded up pieces upon pieces and said they're not all going to work, but we're going to have enough for sure. The Bengals, on the other hand, wait until the fourth round to pick offensive line. And that was the piece I was like, that just doesn't seem urgent enough to me. How did you feel about that? Well, they did go second round. Um, they took Jackson Carmen. Carmen uh, is the, right to play yeah. guard. Who yeah. doesn't end up starting. No. Um, he, he came in a little out of shape, a little a little um just not ready to be a pro i guess you would say it and you know it's been tough love and they they do like the way he's responded and he's he's come around and i wouldn't be surprised at all to see him win that starting job at some point this year they just didn't think he was ready right now um but this this team this organization they just never have paid interior linemen and so that's i, I that was kind of their their way of Let's go get a guy in. Let's go get three guys in the draft that, that are going to be interior guys. And actually, Deontay Smith, their fourth rounder, was a tackle, but they've already converted him to a guard. And then they drafted the Georgia center, Trey Hill, and they really are high on him. Um, but he's, it's still a, a case where, you know, he's he, he's going to get better as the year goes. But I don't know if he's going to work his way into a position. Um, they're, they're happy with Trey Hopkins at the center, but it's just. It's just weird. It was. It wasn't just the draft. It was free agency. They waited. You. They waited till the fourth day of free agency. The fifth day till Friday to sign Riley Reef. Um, everybody's like, "What? What are you doing?" You. You. They. They said that the focus was going to be on protecting Joe Burrow. And the last two years, they have kind of broken out of their mode of not spending in free agency. And they. They set franchise records for the amount of dollars they spent in free agency last year and this year. And it was all on the defense. Um, so Riley Reef was kind of like that last tackle out there, and they were lucky they landed him. You know, took him out to dinner at one of the best restaurants in Cincinnati. Joe Burrow was there, Sam Hubbard was there. They it was the old college recruiting trip. Sell the guy on it, and and Riley Reef agreed to come here. Come here, and if he hadn't, they really would have been over a barrel. But yeah, they're they they've just they just keep adding and adding these interior guys, hoping that one or two of them emerge into something special, but. Right now, they're relying on Quentin Spain, who is with his third team, um, and then Xavier Suafilo, um, who is probably the weak link on that line. And he's he's not a guy that's going to have a blown assignment that's that's going to get Joe Burrow killed. But he's not a he's not a high end guy. You're you're just hoping he can hold on until one of these Jackson Carmen or Deontay Smith, one of these other guys, is ready to step in as a rookie and be a starter. I assume this dinner didn't involve chili on spaghetti. Uh, no, this was a steakhouse. <laughs> okay, all right. Oh, <laughs> uh, taking shots at Skyline. No, chili no, no. I, hey, man. Oh, of course local, not. Local cuisine's local cuisine. I'm all, I'm all for it. But and we'll, we'll, we're, uh, we're gonna let you go here in a little bit. Uh, I know you got, you got other things to do. But anything else that Bears fans need to know about this Bengals team as they get ready to watch uh, the Bengals come to town? Yeah, I, I would say watch this defense. Um, everybody's talked about the offense, and we've spent, what, 20, 25 minutes talking about the offense. Um, this defense, uh, as I mentioned, they've spent heavily on it the last two years in free agency, and that that was another reason Joe Burrow struggled early in camp. It wasn't just all his confidence in his knee. It was cornerbacks 
just sticking to these wide receivers and and forcing turnovers. And this, this team, they they've had eleven or twelve interceptions the last three or four years. Um, they they have they desperately want to increase that. They were next to last in sacks last year and last in pressures. And so they they put a focus on the D line. They drafted three three defensive ends and two of them are already out for the year with injuries so that's a that's a big blow but they they they, they're not they're not as deep as they want to be there but they still have some high-end talent they went out and traded their their 2018 first round pick billy price the center from ohio state they traded him to the giants for bj hill a backup defensive tackle and bj hill's been there here for 10 days and he comes in in the opener and gets two sacks against kirk cousins pays off right off the bat that the interior of this defensive line i'm I know the Bears have some issues on their offensive line. Um, this defensive tackle group has just been wreaking havoc, and that's something that that Andy Dalton or Bears fans are, are going to have to be aware of. But it's not just that. It's the the back end. Jesse Bates, one of the best safeties in, in the league. Von Bell, who you guys probably know well from his days in New Orleans. Um, they make up a heck of a, a safety tandem. I'm writing a story right now about how they, they unveiled this new wrinkle. Where they, they put three safeties on the field a lot against Minnesota and really kind of caught them by surprise with that. The third safety was Ricardo Allen. Broke his hand. He's on IR now. They're hoping it's only going to be three weeks. So that's the big question now is are they going to stick with that three safety look against Andy and, and Justin Fields if he plays? But I, I I think everybody's put so much focus on this offense. I wouldn't sleep on on this defense. Um, yeah, they gave up 24 points to the Vikings, but if they don't if they don't give them hand them that short field with the 30 yards after going for it on fourth down, that game could have looked a lot different. And um, it's just a a young, energetic group with, that is getting after the quarterback and enforcing turnovers. They only had the one turnover um, against Minnesota, but it's the one that won them the game. Um, so that's that's something to, if you're a Bears fan, kind of keep an eye on. It's not just going to be the way the Bengals used to win games where you had to outscore people 38 to 35. This defense can, can win them some games as well. Yeah, I love a couple of their linebackers, and they stacked up on linebacker in the draft last year as well. So they've got guys at all three levels. And, uh, you know, you said earlier that you thought, you know, not necessarily the Bears were an easy win. They might be. (laughs) They've got problems (laughs) in the secondary that are probably going to show up on Sunday. They definitely have some issues on the offensive line. And like you said, Bengals haven't scrimped there. It's it's going to be a challenge. It's not just stop their offense and you'll be okay. It's mm, you got to do that and. So it'll be a fascinating game, but Jay, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, So much wisdom from the local perspective, which is always what we're trying to bring our fans is the smartest possible football talk we can get. And you absolutely filled the bill and brought a great beer. So (laughs) that puts you right at the top of the list. How was the beer? It's, Oh, it's great. You know, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Merrillville, Indiana. Um, It's, it's a town that people go through on their way to, Chicago. It's right on the border of uh, Indiana and Illinois. And uh, that's the farthest away that I've ever been. Uh, I was at an outback there and they had Ryan Geist Truth on draft there. So it's, it's good to see it spreading out and kind of getting more of a, a regional uh, regional flavor. I don't know if it'll make it to Chicago or not. There's a lot of great beers there. But if, if you ever get a shot or if you're ever down this way, uh, definitely give it a try. Absolutely. AJ, thanks again. Really appreciate the time and the uh, expertise. Sure. Great talking to you guys. Take care. 
So that was Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Awesome resource. Uh, I, I read a few of his stories today to prep for, for tonight and uh, just a really good writer and laid a lot of really interesting things out. I liked how he went through on uh, one of his articles and laid out all of the decisions that Zach Taylor had made go for it on fourth down and like showed the like win percentage changes and, and how a lot of the analytics backed him up. That was a really like methodical and, and well thought out approach. And so uh, pretty interesting stuff that he he was doing there for The Athletic. And uh, we talked about the offense so much because the offense is what's interesting, more interesting, and and they have such the, the headliner names. Uh, and, and honestly, I didn't really want to talk about the defense too much because I didn't want to talk about our offense uh, all that much. But we're going to get into that a little bit after we take a quick break, and we'll, we'll get into previewing the game uh, with some additional thoughts. All right, AJ, we're back. So uh, let's talk a little bit about and build on what Jay was talking about with the Bengals. So one of the things that I'm most worried about for the Bears on Sunday is that trio of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. Um, That's three really good wide receivers. The Rams have good wide receivers, and they ate the Bears' lunch. Obviously, a couple of blow coverages that led to really big plays downfield for Matthew Stafford. You know, that stuff has to obviously get cleaned up. But there was a lot of just open throws for Matthew Stafford in that game. And watching Joe Burrow operate against the Vikings, who – the Vikings are the Bears, man. Like, I mean, this is like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. And I'm telling you all year, like, watch Vikings games as scouting for Bears opponents because they have a ton of common opponents, obviously, because they're in the same division. And so watch how the Vikings play some of these teams because it's going to look somewhat similar when the Bears play them. And, and I, was, I, I was worried. I mean, like I, I'm watching Joe Burrow really look comfortable back there, even though his offensive line still is not very good. And he, he managed to still do, do a lot of really good things with those wide receivers. And, and so that would be the number one thought that I have coming into this weekend is that th- this secondary is really under the microscope. It's going to be all year, and I wish that was a huge surprise. I wish this was something that had just popped up. We we talked about this before the year started. Yeah, I mean, we've spent a lot of time on this, and rightfully so. It was choices about who you're going to draft, and then it was choices about free agency, and then it was choices about who you were going to keep on the cut down to 53. And we are where we are, and it's almost the lowest common denominator, right? It's almost the worst of all worlds in terms of who they could have gotten in the draft, who they could have gotten in free agency, and who they could have kept, right? And you look at starting a guy like Marquis Christian at nickel, and this is a guy that's got 700 snaps over five years in the NFL total. You know, every team out there has a pretty good third wide receiver. We just talked about Boyd, the Bengals, but it, it, that, that's not a special case. The Rams have it. Like almost every group in the league has a pretty good third wide receiver. Even the Bears have a pretty good third wide receiver, right? Sure. You sure. need a very competent nickel. And Marquis Christian's a good enough football player to make the NFL. Is he a guy that you want to send off against Tyler Boyd? My answer is no. And that answer is going to be no for most of the season. And that's before, as Jay said, any injuries occur because injuries do occur. And and we've said multiple times, this secondary is one Jalen Johnson shoulder injury away from 
absolute anarchy, like catastrophe. And that was when we still thought Trufant was going to be in the mix. And I understand that he wasn't around a lot and he's been injured. And that was what we were counting on as the best backup plan, right? Now, you know, Steelers fans covers your ears. Artie Burns is the backup plan. And that's not great. So I wish it was a concern. I also am a little bit concerned about the safeties. Just again, based on week one, I'm not going to overreact, but you and I were both hoping for an Eddie Jackson rebound. We know he's a more talented player than what he showed last year. Sean Desai, his former position coach, ascending to the D.C. spot. We thought, hey, this is Eddie's going to revert to the mean or at least a little bit closer to it, right? He did not look good against the Rams. So you just don't really have anywhere to turn in the secondary. I'm not going to, you know, Tayshawn Gibson had some nice plays, uh, but I'm not going to lean on that as like, oh, the secondary savior is Gibson. Um, It's really a thin group. They're going to be outmanned almost every week in terms of talent, and they've got to stay healthy. If they don't, we really don't even need to talk about anything else because it's not the old NFL where you have to establish the run to set up the pass, right? People are going to start passing, and when it keeps working, they're just going to keep doing it, and the Bears are going to go down points. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting test because, again, you don't want to overreact week one. Things can get cleaned up. There were two obviously blown coverages. You know, if you want to start talking yourself into that, like, well, if they don't blow those coverages, they get that cleaned up, and then, like, you know, it's closer. And, you know, on offense, if they, you know, don't throw that pick in the end zone, you know, you start doing that game with yourself where you start to, like, say, well, if those, like, seven plays went differently, right? And, and I mean <laughs> – that's not great. Like right now we're at the point right now we're at the point where the all right. So so I thought the Bears were an average team. You thought the Bears were an average team coming into this year. Okay, fine. Basically, why I think they're so much like the Vikings is that the Vikings, when I watch the Vikings, I'm much more objective about the Vikings than I am about the Bears. I guess, you know, I've I've got my, you know, my my rooting interest. And I see the Vikings and I say, okay, they can beat bad teams. They can't beat good teams. And then they'll split with the ones in the middle. That's what I think the Bears are, if I'm being honest with myself. But we have to kind of worry about them not being able to split the games in the middle and have to compete with the teams at the bottom right now because of that week one performance. Now, I think the Rams, again, I said it last week. I think the Rams are really good. I think they're a Final Four team. I think they're a team that's going to go to the conference championship game. I think they'll win the West, which I think is the best division in football. And I think that they're they're going to be able to go to the conference championship game. That's how good I think they are. Tons of things can happen between now and then. I can change my mind 25 times, which I probably will. But, like, I think they're really good coming into this year. And they were a terrible matchup for the Bears because McVay has been learning the defense, you know, in practice all year. He had Brandon Staley, who's a more established version of Sean Desai. I mean, he ate Sean Desai's lunch. It was a huge mismatch. I, all that stuff. Josiah can come on. He can improve. Like, I'm not hitting a panic button here. But we have to, like, see, like, the Bengals are better than what people think they are. I mean, the the Bengals are not a doormat. So they are going to come to town. They're riding high after a win. And they're going to look – they're going to expect to beat the Bears. Now, the Bears are going to come in. They're going to want to bounce back. But now this is a game where are these two average teams where the Bears have to, like, see if you can win this game. This is not a game where you say, ah, this is a bad team. You're going to beat the bad teams. It's not the case anymore. 
with the with the Bengals. And the Bengals are still probably the worst team in the AFC North. I mean, maybe Pittsburgh is, or maybe Baltimore's injuries hurt. I, I mean, like I'm. I mean, it's not the Browns. Browns, are, I think Browns are the best. They got to play the whole division. They got to play that whole division. They got to play the whole NFC West, which I just said was the best division of football. There's a lot of good football teams on this schedule. And so what what are the games where they're going to be competitive and, you know, these 50-50 games that they have to win? That, you know, to me, this is now not a gimme. This is a 50-50 game. Oh, I You're going the other way. You're you're going that the, the Bengals are I think it's a little bit generous to call it a straight up 50 50 game. Like if I was going to go lay money on this game right now and I didn't have a rooting interest, I would have a hard time betting on the bears other than they get lucky. Right. I'm taking the odds. Right. I, I, I hope they get a phone. I hope they get a pick six. I hope they get a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Like that's what I would be betting on the bears on. If I'm betting straight up and they play a quote unquote normal foot game, football game, if there is such a thing, I'm really hard pressed to lay folding money on the bears. Like I didn't see enough from multiple pieces. Again, not hitting a panic button. I'm not saying they're going to be over none of that. Like get get that out of your head. That's that's not what we're doing here. But I'm with you that the medium games are no longer gimmies, like at all. And I'm not even sure some of the gimme games are gimmies, right? Detroit played tough. They didn't play great. They didn't win the game, but they played tough. The Vikings, you know, they didn't win the game. Again, I think the Bengals did indeed win that game. We talked about that a little bit with Jay, but they played tough. They put up a bunch of points. Right. Those are if you're thinking those are games that the Bears had a pretty good shot in, you should probably reassess that because the Bears have problems on offense. It's not just the offensive line. It's not just Andy Dalton. It's not just Matt Nagy's play calling. It's all of those three things coming out to a pretty uninspired offensive performance. And we can argue at length and we probably will about when Justin Fields needs to play for this team. I think it's sooner. You think it's sooner. Pretty soon the whole world's going to think it's sooner. Kyle Brandt definitely thinks it's sooner. Um, you know. I, I, well, let's 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 talk about that real quick. There's what we think, which is he should have played last week. There's what we or what we would like, what we would prefer, or at least have a much bigger presence last than last week. the The second piece is like what we predict will happen which we've been consistent in saying week four. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that's my preference. I'm saying that's what I think will happen. And now most of the writers that are the beat writers, the guys that are closer to the team, you know, they're predicting later. You know, and our, our friend Bill Zimmerman had, a you know, kind of an inside source that said, guys, like, no, don't think that this is going to happen anytime in the near future. And you're hearing various reports off of off of that. I think that the fact that Matt Nagy played him for five plays and then said something to the effect of like, if the game was closer, I would have had more. I would have put him in more. Which like, what? <laughs> like, I've been, you know, Matt. There's a good way to make the game closer. Yeah, keep him in. Mm. <laughs> I just like, what? Well, I don't. I don't understand the the thinking that he was going through his mind when he said well, that. It just didn't make sense. But yeah, um, I, I I guess my my point here is that because he put him into the game at all he's no longer following the Mahomes plan he's following a plan to get Justin Fields up to speed 
and a little bit of uh, uh, runway to as a proving ground here to, to say, yep, he's ready. Or no, he's not ready. See, like, you know, he didn't handle those 10 plays or he didn't handle those two positions well or whatever. Like, I think he's given him a runway so that he can get in. If he felt like he was going to keep him on the bench for, you know, most of the year, he, he would. I don't think he would have done that. And so I think that there is at least some hope that we are on a pace to see uh, Justin Fields be the starter by. I, I still think week four makes a lot of sense. You avoid Cleveland. Uh, you know, he doesn't put him in harm's way that way, but. I, I don't know what 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 surprised you most about those five plays because it wasn't the effectiveness of Justin Fields because he looked great and that didn't surprise you but what what surprised you about the presence of the five plays uh not not very much it, it does feel like dip your toes dip your toes dip your toes I I come from the other end of this debate again we're meeting in the middle at the same place saying week four um some people are saying the promise the promise the promise you know to andy dalton preseason that he was the guy like the nfl is not about promises it's never been about promises if you look at contracts and how teams honor or don't honor them it's not about promises this is about results and it's about meritocracy and the piece of the why i say i come from the other end of this debate is what you're starting to hear from a multitude of sources inside and outside, you've been hearing about from outside for a long time, but now you're starting to hear these quotes <laughs> from guys inside the locker room that are towing the line between I'm supporting my team, but I'm also saying this is a super stupid idea, right? right. That this isn't the thing that gives us the best chance to win. And we were talking with this, uh, we were talking about this over the weekend that players know, Right. We talked about this with with some NFL writers and, and some other folks that we ran into in Vegas. And it's like players know and you can't sell the players down the river on, oh, this I'm playing this guy because of a promise or whatever. If Andy Dalton goes out and has the offensive production he had in week one and you can say whatever you want about the Rams defense. We just listened to Jay talk about how good the Bengals defense is. Is it the Rams defense? No. Is it a really good defense that can cause you fits? Yeah. And it's the freaking Bengals. Right. It isn't about the defense. It's about what you can do against that. And if if Dalton goes out and does what he has done in week one or about thereabout, <laughs> right, in terms of how you felt throughout that entire game. And I think that's not a bad metric. Right. Did you ever feel like he was really close to cracking one? Did he just miss a couple of shots that were going to break that game open or bring it close? The answer is no. You never felt like that. Everything but, felt hard. Everything, yeah, could, even like, the short stuff. It's, it, well, that's what it was. It was it was a one hundred percent efficiency driven game plan where right. like you were looking to grind first downs, and that's fine if you have Drew Brees behind center and like he's going to hit every single throw with maximum accuracy, and you know he knows the ins, ins and outs of the offense and knows exactly what the defense is going to do before they do it, like. Those efficiency monster type offenses can work if you have the right people. But like Dalton's an average guy. Like, you know, he did he didn't do terrible, but like this is not a, a winning recipe. That this this never throwing the ball but beyond ten yards. Yeah, it's just there's no threat there. And people will and and they did especially Chicago fans. And being a Chicago fan, I understand it. And I certainly recognize it. Whenever things don't work. For whatever reason, they don't work. People start talking about all the other things, right? 
And what they, what I mean by that is, oh, well, Jay Cutler couldn't do it because they never surrounded him with people and the scheme was bad and the da da da. And the bottom line is Cutler was right down the middle as a quarterback. He was dead average. And when Trubisky didn't do it, it was like, well, it's because Matt Nagy's a bad play caller and Trubisky will be amazing. So no, Trubisky's a backup making, you know, sub $5 million for the Bills, who's probably not going to play. And, you know, what they fail to do is look at the other side of the coin all those times. And this is what they're failing to do. If they're saying that Justin Fields shouldn't play at this point is to say, well, what about all the players where those things are stacked against them? Yes. Justin Fields is not going to have a great offensive line. Absolutely not. He's not going to have a ton of defensive support from the secondary, right? He's not going to have a grinded out defense that pushes another team into a bunch of punts and gives them a ton of extra possessions. That's a fact. So given that, who would you rather play, <laughs> right? Would you rather yeah. play Dalton, who's going to play this kind of, again, controlled, efficient, grinding, get first down, dink and dunk, whatever you want to call it, chip away offense? Or are you going to put in a guy like Justin Fields who can break off a 35-yard run with 4-4 speed and then the next play, throw the 35-yard bomb for the touchdown over the over the shoulder, Right. You're not going to get it all the time. And yeah, he's going to take some sacks because the interior offensive line is not great. Does that scare me a little bit? Sure. We just talked about Joe Burrow getting wiped out last year for the Bengals. But in those downs, right, you know you're not going to have a stacked deck. The, deck's going to, the deck is going to be stacked against you. Would you rather have a wild card or would you rather have somebody that is, you know, efficient, productive, average, whatever? And I... It was our colleague Kev at when he said Gridiron who said my first post game presser question to Matt Nagy would be, "What is it that Andy Dalton did today that you think Justin Fields is not capable of?" Right. Because it's not about can he handle it or is he going to get good looks. Or, they're saying we're trying not to establish bad habits. Well, you don't have a good, you don't have a team good enough to do that, right? You don't have an offensive line that you can put that guy behind and say you're not going to start seeing ghosts because you're getting hit every third play you probably are but justin fields seems he, he's well built physically can take a little bit of punishment he can avoid the rush almost at will because of his speed and when he's given even a little bit of time and sometimes no time at all he can make devastating throws downfield can andy dalton do that and the answer is no so they don't look at the flip side of that coin it's all about risk mitigation not hey i'm gonna flip the coin take some of those down plays but i'm also gonna get some of those big up plays. And that's what kills me about that argument. Worried about what you're losing and not what you can gain, which is a really great segue to talk about your trip to Vegas. Now, you don't have to tell us everything, but like you were in Vegas for a big promotion. You were at the opener for the Raiders game. Uh, you know, I think we could put this game preview to bed and we can talk a little bit about uh, what the experience was like to this crazy Monday night game that was this crazy affair that went into overtime and like even in the overtime was bizarre. Like I just I just kind of want to know what the experience was like in that new Raiders stadium. It was unbelievable. And first thing I want to say is a shout out to Raiders fans. I think Raiders fans, people have an idea of Raiders fans and it's either great or terrible. And you hear things like they fight all the time and baloney. Like the Raiders just moved and people from 
all over the country came. There were a lot of people there from Northern California. I saw Raiders fans from as far away as uh, Pensacola, Sarasota, Florida. They're like, hey, I grew up in NorCal. I, I live in Florida now. I have a successful business and I flew out. There were Vegas locals there for sure. People from all over California, people from Colorado, Boston. I mean, Raiders fans are incredibly passionate. They're smart. They're super welcoming. There are a ton of Ravens fans there as well. And I think you're going to continue to see this in Las Vegas. When your team plays in Las Vegas, it's a place to go. There's tons right. of places to stay, lots to do. It's a destination. There were tons of Ravens fans there, lots and lots. And I saw zero negative interactions between Raiders fans and Ravens fans. Yeah, a little chippy, like, hey, you know, Lamar's going to have a tough time tonight. Like, you know, and and they were giving it right back. And that was it. It was all friendly. It was all welcoming. It was all just football banter. The experience in the stadium, unbelievable. You have to put it on your list. It's the stadium itself as a physical piece is, look, it's whatever it was, $10 billion. It's a tremendous venue. It's right off the strip. It's gorgeous inside and out. The views, looking at it from the outside, everybody calls it the Death Star and rightfully so. But Tons of thoughtful touches on the inside and some of the views from inside the stadium to outside are great. And more important, your experience as a fan, there is not a bad seat in that house. It is a purpose-built football stadium, and we were in the nosebleeds. We were 20, 25 rows from the very top of the stadium. We were directly under the press box. You know, you'd think, oh, this is a terrible view. It was like having your own all 22. It was gorgeous. Um Again, just a tremendously welcoming environment, um, beautiful stadium, great fans, super passionate. And then the game itself was just nutty. It started out in the first half, and it was I, I described it on Twitter as a really slow burn. There was a lot of poor execution on both sides, a lot of missed opportunities. It just couldn't – the game kind of couldn't get itself started. Neither team looked like they really wanted to win. Execution wasn't very clean. There were a couple injuries, unfortunately – that required the cart that were rough a couple ACLs. Um, so it just kind of felt like, Oh, look, it's a, it's an amazing stadium experience, amazing fans. Uh, great to be back in the stadium, but the game itself, man, it's kind of not that great. And then there were a couple of sparks in the third quarter, a couple of little explosions that you thought, oh, okay. And you know, the Raiders were on the downside of that. And then about midway through the fourth quarter, somebody dropped a sandbag on the accelerator and it was straight off to crazy town at hundred miles an hour. Um, all of course, leveraged by the fact that my podcast partner, my other podcast partner, Brett Coleman was running a five team parlay on 25 to one odds. And he needed the Raiders to come home, lose by less than four or win. So uh, we had alternate rooting interests, and then the craziness starts. He scored. He ended the game. He didn't end the game. People left, and then the referee comes back on the field and says, no, 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 we're going to run it back. We're going to do this again. And, you know, there's disbelief. People going, oh, my God. And the highs were stratospherically high, and the lows were <laughs> incredibly low. Um, I'm, I'm somewhat surprised that Brett survived the experience, but he ended up coming out on top. Fantastic experience overall. We really drained. But if you ever get a chance to go to Vegas for any reason and catch a football game, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it's a super fun town, uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. And the fan experience was was really, really good. Um, if you go early in the season, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. It was probably about 110, 112 degrees on the blacktop while we were waiting. It is, it is really hot. But once you get inside, 
air conditioned luxury, gorgeous place, tons of Raider greats were at the game. They had more musical talent than I can name off. Like Gladys Knight sang the anthem. Ice Cube was the live halftime entertainment. Uh, Steve Aoki was there doing sets on commercial breaks. Like it is just the whole thing was entertainment, enjoyment, and then this incredible, you know, <laughs> on the way to the forum, a funny thing happened. This incredible football game broke out. One of the top five sporting experiences of my life. Like no question. Yeah, you sent me a picture of Jim Plunkett and Fred Blitnikoff, and yep, I got it. They were in the booth because you know. That's the I, I was of- super impressed by that. By the way, Jim Otto was also in the booth. Uh, you know, it, it was just they had, uh, you know, they pulled out all the stops. Mark Davis pulled out all the stops for the opening with all the fans, and it just felt that way. It felt like an event even before the game went historic. I think that's where football is going. Right, is that the, the games are events? They and they they have to find ways to attract people to the stadium because football is such a great spectator sport on TV. Mm-hmm. And 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 so like, why leave the comfort of your home? We got Sunday ticket. You got Red Zone. You know the fridge is right there. The bathroom doesn't have a line. And so they create more entertainment around these football games than just the football game itself because they got to draw you in and particularly if you have a big event like which you got to go to which was the opener which is you know hottest ticket in town that's pretty cool i I, i've always thought that the vegas idea made a lot of sense now as an environmental scientist i the existence of vegas bothers me in general but 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 as a human person that is under, understands you know economics and the appeal of what Vegas can be for football fans, it makes a ton of sense. And and I'm glad that they built a beautiful stadium. I'm glad that they um, were able to do it right. And and it, it looks beautiful. The pictures were great um, from from what I've seen. Brett obviously did a lot. Does a lot of photography. Uh, and and he had some great pics on there as well. Um, you know, I mean, I don't care for the Raiders one way or the other, but I think it'd be really fun to go to a game. So uh, definitely on the list. Want to go to SoFi at some point. For sure. You know, and see, and see those as well. So as we get out of here, I just want to say uh, from my end, uh, had a really fun first show with Lesser A. Wilfong Jr. on uh, Bear and Balanced. I thought that went really well. We got a day to kind of relax, take the venom out of the loss, and then discuss things. We had to, had a few segments. I thought they were pretty successful. Make sure you're checking that show out. Uh, make sure we got awesome lineup. Like the whole li- podcast lineup is just and, gone. And. It's gone to to an eleven. It, it really has picked up this year. We made a concerted effort. Robert Schmitz deserves a ton of credit for kind of trying to get us all in line. Uh, and there's just there's a show every day or almost every day uh, coming at you. And so you, you got more than you need uh, for for bear stuff. But please listen listen to those shows and uh, give us feedback on Twitter. I'm at Grid Ironborn. EJ's at the Draftsman FB, and you know we look forward to continuing this experience with you guys all year. I think it's all about Justin Fields, and I think we're going to get more of it, and I'm excited about that. And we're just going to keep talking. Yeah, it's I like the preview format. I I really like that we've started off with a couple of banger guests, and we're going to try and keep that train rolling. Um, you know, we don't have total control over that, but we've got some really good ideas about uh, great folks that cover teams that the Bears are going to play coming up on the schedule. And they just add so much value. Jay did today. I loved his backstory about uh, what Burrow was doing to try and get comfortable with his knee. You just don't get that from folks that aren't there, aren't covering practice. Um, gives you real depth of insight. Uh, again, kind of venturing into enemy territory and, and seeing who the Bears are going to play. So, 
tons of good stuff coming your way on Bears Over Beers. Uh, what did you think of Death by Flapjacks? All right, so here's the thing about this beer. And I have this issue a lot with these beers that throw a lot of flavor in. If you're throwing that much flavor at an ale, it's not going to hold up. So you need to throw it at a stout or at least a porter. And this is an ale with all those things that I listed. It doesn't It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. So it was a it, lot. It was a lot. When you were listing it off, two lot of flavors. And I, I would say it's even a lot for the stout carrier, which this is I a agree with wonderful you. brewery. Oscar Blues is great. They, they make some of the best stouts that I've ever had. Uh, they make 1050 or whatever. Like it's 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 excellent excellent place for stouts. I didn't even realize it. I just assumed it was a stout. And then when I read it, it was a set ale. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It doesn't hold up. Yeah, it's it's tough to hold that much water when when you've got a lighter build. You've got a lager and ale or whatever and a pilsner. Like it, adding all those things on top seems not likely. Uh, so Johnny Utah I've had before, a little bit of a citrus kick to it. Um, but it's a good, good pale ale. Got to drink these out of the fridge before the, the fall weather comes. It rained here this morning, JB. Uh-oh. You don't, you don't <laughs> know, know how, <laughs> you don't know how happy we are about this. It's been a long time. Uh, again, having spent five days in Vegas where it basically never rains, although I did see a crazy thunderstorm there. Uh, but it was, it was consistently over a hundred degrees coming home to the Pacific Northwest. It was 58 degrees when I got home. It rained this morning. It just, you know, the moss on my toes is recovering. Um, so, it, and that means heavier beers, winter lagers, Oktoberfest. Like, I just get super excited about this time of year because it's a great beer time of year as well. And we have all this football. That was the other thing about being in Vegas is we watched all the college games on Saturday at one sports book. We watched all the NFL games uh, at Caesar Sportsbook on Sunday. It was a football, or and then of course we went to the Monday night game. It was a football overload weekend. Um, loved it. Uh, it was very much um, excess, as Vegas is, excess of <laughs> stimulus <true>. and football. <laughs> right. And just like, okay, when I was done, I was very happy to be done. Right. Uh, flew home on very little sleep. But we've got a ton coming for you on the podcast this year. We're going to keep up the preview format, keep up the great guests. Uh, just be part of this tremendous Windy City Gridiron lineup going forward. Um, so sit back, stock up on your fall beers, get ready for some good football, college or pro, don't really care, and bear down.